Before we jump into the text today, I think it's uh, I think it's appropriate that we just pause for a minute and uh, and just pray together. And uh, this morning, I've just had an overwhelming burden for uh, for those who simply struggle this time of year to truly take to heart things like what we sang. You are good. You are good. Oh, God, you are good. And that reminder of God's presence even in the darkness. And there's so many, both in our church family and across our country, across this world, who simply struggle this time of year because it's maybe just not as joyful as it once was. And it doesn't change who God is. Amen? But it affects us. And so I just want to pause and uh, just take a minute and pray uh, for each of you who are here today and are just struggling. Because that's okay. And it's a good thing for us to struggle. And for those across the country, we think of those in California right now. 14,000 homes destroyed, 86 people killed, and a couple hundred more still missing. And uh, we could praise God because it's been raining, but at the same time, uh, still just devastation. And so let's just pause for a minute and commit this to God, knowing that He is faithful, He is all-loving, and to recognize the opportunity we have to just give this to Him, all right? Heavenly Father, we come before You, and Lord, I just pray right now for all those in our own family here who are just hurting. And God, we can sing, You are good, and we can know Your love and Your faithfulness, but sometimes, God, it's just hard. I pray for those who are experiencing loss in this season. I pray for those who are just challenged and are questioning, God, where are you in the midst of this? Lord, I pray for this season to be a reminder of your peace, to be a reminder of your presence, to be a reminder of your faithfulness. And God, that we could lean all the more heavily on you, casting all our cares upon you because you care for us. And so this morning, Father, as we open up Scripture and as we think about, once again, who you are and all that you've done, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, help us to recognize how desperately we need you. And Lord, how present you are, no matter what season of life we're experiencing right now. We commit all this to you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles together to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. And if you uh, don't have a Bible, you're not sure where that is, there's one in, should be one in the pew in front of you, and that's page 807 is what it should be in the Bibles in front of you. And for those of you who may not have been with us for the past few weeks, we've been going through uh, the month of November focusing on 
uh, psalms of thanks, specifically thanks for who God is and what he has done. And just to highlight some of these, I wanted, I told you in the, in the beginning weeks that we have these baskets up here and some of you were writing what, you, what you're thankful for in that way and I just want to share some of those so we can be thankful together and be reminded of these things. Thankful for brothers and sisters in Christ. Thankful for his discipline. How he molds me into a more loving person. Thankful for his faithful love through joy and sorrow. Through all that he said to us. The Lord has power and love over all of us. Amen to that. Thankful for God's protection over my family. He is faithful. Thankful for His faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for making Yourself known through creation. Thank you, Lord, for loving me and pursuing me in my rebellious youth. Thank God for His provision. We're going to talk more about that today. For his forgiveness never stops. His love for me never ends. Praise his holy name. For God's enduring love. For his patience. For his unchanging nature. Thankful that God saved me from the pit. And that I can now walk before the glory of God in the light of day. I love that one. Thankful for healing. For an amazing wife and three beautiful children. For the husband I needed. I'm so thankful. Thankful to see his healing and answered prayer. For my salvation, God's faithfulness. And there were, there were a lot more than this. This was just a few I picked out. And uh, I could probably stand up here and just read those to you and we could just pray over those things and be done for the day. Because it's so, it's so important. And it's so important sometimes for us to hear other people say, man, I'm so thankful for this. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, that we could come at different stages of life. We can come together recognizing our same need for a Savior. Our same need of a God who is unchanging, who's faithful, who's loving, who models for us all those things that he asks of us. And yet, many of us still might ask the question, what does God's provision really look like? For many of us, our definition of that may look different than others, depending on the season of life we're in, right? That for some of us, God's provision might be focused on my health because that's at the forefront of my mind. And for others, it may be focused on material items such as a home or food on my table. Still for others of us, maybe it's financial provision. God's provided to help meet my needs. Biblically though, what is God's provision? 
And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in Psalm 37. And if there's one thing I want you to walk, walk away from here from today, one, one main thing, this is it. And that's lasting provision can only come from God. Lasting provision can only come from God. So if you get nothing else out of anything more I'm going to say this morning, remember this point, that point, okay? Lasting provision can only come from God. Now, Psalm 37, this is indeed a psalm of David and is written so that it reflects many aspects of not only God's provision, but our attitude and what this looks like practically for you and me. And so the first thing I really want to emphasize out of this psalm, and we're going to read a little bit, and we're going to stop and then we'll read a bit more and piece this together and understand what the psalmist is conveying here. But the first thing is that God's provision often looks different than the world. God's provision often looks very different than the world. Read with me in verse 1 of Psalms 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now in these first nine verses, there's a common phrase that repeats itself consistently. The phrase, fret not yourselves, or in other translations, it simply says, do not fret. Now, the obvious question we come to a phrase like that should be, what does it mean to fret? And the simple term for this is to allow something to kindle within us, an anger kindling or burning inside of us for one reason or another. And in this context, the psalmist is simply reminding us, do not allow this to happen when you look at the wicked and how they prosper. Don't fret yourself over these things. In verse 1, it says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. In verse 7, it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. And in verse 8, it says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Now, I was trying to think of a way to practically illustrate this. And this was the most creative way I could think of to do that. So, in our lives, we tend to be able to separate the things that drive us absolutely nuts from what we would identify as what God has called us to in righteousness. And so we take something like this, practically, what does it look like for someone to fret over these things? Practically, it means to sit there and to stir, to stew, 
And to do this over and over again, I can't believe this. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Look at all the work I'm putting in. And look at this person over here who's living in wickedness and they're prospering. And before long, it's hard to separate the two. My attitude becomes shaped by what I'm spending all my energy fretting about. And you can't seem to separate these. But when I cease to fret, and I'm just okay with, you know what? God's got this under control. I'm going to let this be. Because I know what I need to focus on. I know where my focus needs to be, where my eyes need to be fixed. All of a sudden there starts to be this separation. And when there's the separation, the next step in the process of sanctification is then eliminating this stuff out of my life that I might more fully reflect the purity that God calls me to as a follower of Jesus. And so when we fret, it's the spoon that's sitting there and we're stirring these things in our minds and it's distracting us from being able to focus on what we should be able to focus on. There is an indisputable contrast between the prosperity of the wicked and the faithful provision of God to the righteous. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see this throughout the text. We tend to fret or stew over the difference when we look around us at those who seem to live in wickedness and prosper. And then we question, what is God's provision? Because from an earthly standpoint, it sure looks like the people who are not following after Christ are doing pretty well. This difference often breeds envy or jealousy amongst God's people because naturally our flesh craves what the world has to offer. Now turn with me over to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6 briefly. Keep your finger in Psalm 37 because we're going to come back there. And if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1477. In Matthew chapter 6, this is the second part. This is the next, one of the next sections of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we were in for some time. But there's a section of this in, starting in verse 25 that speaks directly to this very concept. And Jesus says here, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
You see, the largest contrasts should ultimately be where the focus of the righteous is as opposed to the focus of the wicked. People should be able to see a difference when they're looking at who we are. The focus of the wicked is to destroy anything that stands in the way of its pursuits. The focus of the wicked is to store up and enjoy all that is here because in their mind it is all there is. The focus of the righteous is to further God's agenda no matter what it might cost them. The focus of the righteous is to recognize the temporal nature of all that is here and live accordingly. Back in Psalm 37, verse 16, it says, Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. In a similar way, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 tells us, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, I preface this by saying, because I've said it before, the Bible does not condemn those who have been blessed with much wealth. In fact, God often uses people who have been given much to do much here on earth. And when the Bible refers to the rich man in a negative way, it is consistently referring to the one who has made the wealth of this world their God. That has become their focus. And that is why they are not known as a follower of God. They are known as the rich man. They're identified by where their eyes are fixed. And so when we come to these texts, when we come to these passages, yes, the wicked may prosper in a material way. And we may look around us and go, well, why should I continue seeking to follow God when it seems like those who've chosen not to follow God are living a much more abundant earthly life? Something that drives many people away from their faith. And the reality is, when we come to the text of Scripture, we can see clearly that God's provision often looks very different than the world. And see, there's joy in the midst of that, because if God's provision is not simply material, then all of a sudden, for those of us, no matter what stage we are at in our lives, no matter where we are at on the so-called social spectrum... God's provision remains the same. God's provision remains the same. Lasting provision can only come from God. The second thing that we see multiple times in this text is that God's provision is eternal. God's provision is eternal. Look with me at verse 18 in Psalm 37. It says, The Lord knows the days of the blameless. 
and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Now, in the same way, if you look at verse 23 through 29, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land. And dwell upon it forever. God's provision not only looks different than what the world often offers. But it's the only place we can find lasting provision that goes extends far beyond. Far beyond just this world here. And another image picture. I love image pictures. And so another image picture of this is, this is an illustration I will probably use a bunch because it's one of my favorite illustrations that I'm borrowing from another pastor. And some of you may have seen this before. So, you over there are going to have not as good of an illustration because you see the end of the rope. But, imagine for a second this rope continues on. You can't see the end of it. Just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going. That portion of the rope represents what? What does it represent? Eternity. Eternity. It just keeps going. That's a concept that's really hard for us to grasp. You just imagine it just goes and goes and goes. There's no end to it. And then we look at this end and we see this little piece of black tape. And this little piece of black tape represents our time here on earth. It represents everything that you can accumulate. Every material possession. Every relationship. Everything and anything that you can have here on earth is represented in this little black dot. And in all reality, I should have just taken a pin and colored the end of this. Because that probably would have represented it better. At the same time, this is all the time we have to influence, to impact, to shine the light of Christ. And then eternity. Now, if I'm looking at this from an evaluation standpoint, where am I going to want to put my most investment? I don't care how much you make over here. It's not going here. And if I'm looking at the long-term value of this, then all of a sudden it makes sense why God's provision for me is rooted in who I am according to what He asks of me and the eternal reward of that less so than what's about here. And what we do here, I believe drastically impacts how we will enjoy here. So where's your investment? 
Some of you are here today and you're going, man, God, people are thankful for God's provision. I'm just not seeing it. Because I am struggling. I'm struggling to pay my bills. I'm struggling to put food on my table. I'm struggling with my family. All these things people are thankful for, I'm happy for them, but it sure isn't happening to me. And I'll ask you again, where is your investment? Because God's provision is focused on all of this. Not on this. And that's where we have to fix our eyes. Where we have to look. And it's exactly why, as we're going to identify here, God talks about the shortness, the temporary nature of the wicked who are prospering. Look again at verses 1 and 2. says, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Jump to verses 9 and 10. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Look again at 12 through 15. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Look at verse 17. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Look at verse 20. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. In verse 28. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. And then once again at verse 38. But the transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. So if we didn't grasp the message by reading through this and acknowledging the consistent theme time and time and time again. The focus is on this reality. You may see the wicked prospering. But this is all the prospering that's going to happen. It's the righteous who are carried through. It's those who stand rightly before God. And we believe that that can only happen when we're justified through Christ. That that's why God sent His Son. Because apart from Jesus, that little black strip is all we have. That's it. And yet through Christ, we've been given the opportunity to make kingdom deposits. As we seek to live for who God has called us to be. And recognize this, God has not called you to direct your focus on cutting off the wicked. He's not called you to direct your focus on cutting off the wicked. God's got that taken care of. Now that doesn't mean that we're supposed to stand 
to the side when we see injustice. We see things being done wrong. But our response when we're encountered with those situations should automatically reflect our desire to make kingdom deposits, not earthly ones. And we can easily turn that into something that damages and hurts people that does not convey the message of the gospel. And sadly, brothers and sisters, there are many, many of us who have done that. When it comes to how we define wickedness and where we focus our attention at, there are many who have tainted the message of the gospel because they're more concerned about their image and their agenda than God's. May we not reflect that. That's not what God has called us to. The focus of... God has not called you to simply direct your attention horizontally here on earth. God has not called you to fret and stew over what you do not have. Rather, God has called us to recognize the eternal provision that can only be found in one place. He has called us to see clearly that despite how the wicked may prosper materially or vocationally or in popularity, the only ones who will prosper eternally are the faithful followers of God. Our cult- this is this is a hard statement to say, but it's important for us to recognize our cultural status carries no weight. In eternity. How much wealth we accumulate here has no bearing upon what we will benefit from in eternity. Jesus often spoke that it was the poor who would benefit the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we have to be careful where we have directed our focus. So practically, as we think about this in application, we think about God's provision often looks different than the world. Praise God for that. And that God's provision is eternal. How do we apply this? And thankfully, the text makes that really clear for us. And I'm going to give you two specific points. The first one. Fix your eyes in the right place. Fix your eyes... In the right place. Recognize that your job may provide you with temporary provision. Your friends may provide you with temporary provision. Your family may provide you with temporary provision. Your stuff may provide you with temporary provision. And yet there is only one who can provide us with all that lasts eternally. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Trust in the Lord. What are you putting your trust in today? Where are your eyes fixed? Are they fixed in the right place? The psalmist reminds us, not just 
Don't fret about the prosperity of the wicked, but trust in the Lord. If he's the only one who can provide us with that which is lasting, that which endures, trust in him. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. We are not a patient culture. We want it now. God, if you were going to provide, you would provide now. How many of you have been guilty of that? I've been guilty of that, okay? God, I'm praying, I'm praying for this, and yet, why aren't you providing? And a neat story as an example of that, God's provision. There was once a family friend who the wife faithfully faithfully attended church, devout follower of Christ, consistently. And she would often talk about how she prayed daily for her husband to come to faith in Jesus. And when I came to know them, they were a lot older in age, and she's still faithfully praying, faithfully praying. And all at once, her husband... And I may not get these diagnoses correct, but her husband had multiple medical incidents where he had a heart attack or a stroke. I can't remember the order of this. Was in the hospital and then went to get up out of his bed and had the other one and fell and broke his hip. Hey, this all happened at once. And in that moment, he recognized that he in and of himself was not enough. And he came to Christ. But the powerful part of that story is... His wife said, I've been praying for over 50 years that he would come to know Jesus. And in that moment, I was extremely convicted about my own prayer life and my own enduring patience with who God is. And how often, when it doesn't happen in our timing, when it doesn't happen at our pace, do we just lose sight of it? We say, God's not going to provide this. We're just done. We're, we're done. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. It's an important thing for us to remember. If you flip over to verse 34, it reminds us again. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. Many people will often quote these passages and they will make it about some temporary provision God will provide. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what you desire. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the job you've always wanted. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the mate you've been waiting for. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will prevent any hardship from happening to you. Wrong. Wrong. That's not what scripture says. Rather, when we read scripture, what we find is that when 
Our eyes are no longer fixed on the horizontal things of earth, but rather on the vertical promises of God. Our hearts' desires change. We see the transient nature of all that is here, and we understand why God laughs at the shortness of the prosperity of the wicked. Second and lastly, let what you do be an outflowing of what God has done and promised to do. Verse 21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. In recognition of all that God has given me, however much or little that is, I'm going to be generous because I know that it's transient here. I know that I can't carry any of this with me to eternity. Verse 27, Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. Turning away from evil, doing that which God has desired us to do. Verse 8 reminds us, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Don't allow these things to be a pattern in our lives. Verse 30 and 31 tell us, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. And his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. As we close today, I want you to look at verses 39 and 40. Because this is what I want our focus to remain as we think about this. It says, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. Some of you need to hear that today. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them. Why? Because they take refuge in Him. As we consider giving thanks to God for who He is and all that He has done, where do your eyes drift to? What does God's provision look like? And how are you living in light of that? I want to encourage you today that the Lord helps those at times of trouble. He's their stronghold. He's the only lasting provision that we can have confidence in. So let's fix our eyes in the right place. And whatever you're dealing with this season, be reminded that God doesn't change. His promises are the same. And the hope for eternity, that all that goes on, is available to all who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. That is not limited by anything here, no matter what it might be. So if you're here today and you're going, man, I need that stronghold in my life. I need that provision. Not the stuff here that always seems to let me down, but that eternal provision. If you're here today and you need that, I'm going to be down front here during this song. And I just want you to come forward, even if it's just a reminder that you, you believe in the name of Jesus, but you just need prayer to rest in that hope this season. I want to welcome you to come down here and I'm going to pray with you. Heavenly Father, as we respond to who you are and what you've done, Lord, it's overwhelming to think about 
your consistency in the midst of all that's changing, all that's shifting. Father, may we seek to fix our eyes in the right place. To recognize that our salvation comes from you. That you are our stronghold in a time of trouble. And that we would be still and wait patiently for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song in closing.